0: So welcome to you all. If you have not been journeying with us through this series so far, we're in a series called A Place for Everyone. And the heart behind this series really has been that uh, God has a place for you in a church community somewhere. And we believe that as a church, Les Merti Baptist Church, uh, we are doing all that we can to allow everyone to hear the good news that Jesus is real and that Jesus is who he says he is and he has done what he, has said, what he said he has done. And so what we're trying to do through this series is we're walking through the book of Mark. And in fact, if you've got your Bible, we're going to look at a story in Mark chapter 14. And we've been looking at some stories leading up to Easter about how God welcomes everybody into a relationship with him. So that's where we're at in this context of, context of the series, a place for everyone. We want church to be a place where everyone is welcome, where everyone is loved, and everyone is seen as having value, because we believe that God has instilled value Into each one of you here today and for everyone who's ever been created. So as we get into this morning's message I've got a question for you and you don't have to answer out loud um, but have you ever had a sugar rush? (laughs) All right have you ever had a sugar rush? I was uh, trying to accomplish a assignment on Friday frantically because I'm going on holiday for a week this week. I've got my sister's wedding this afternoon and then tomorrow we're going to go and Uh, just for the following week, relax as a family. And I had to get this assignment done because I don't want to be stressing about an assignment while I'm trying to relax with the family. And so I thought to myself, if I'm going to get this assignment done, I need to get some sugar into me. The problem is that I just read, and I still did it. This is just how silly we are as humans. I still went and I got myself a Coke and I focused and I managed to get it done. It's not the best work I've ever done, but it's done. Um, But... The the silly thing is, is that just the day before, I'd been reading an article. And for those of you who follow uh, the news apps, you probably, or the news in general, you may have come across this a a study that debunks the idea of the sugar rush. And I thought, no, no. And then I went and I did some wider research, because I'm not going to listen to just one article's point of view. And I did some wider research, and the more I looked at it, I'm like, oh my goodness. I don't think the sugar rush is real anymore. And I changed my mind because as I was looking at it, apparently dietitians have known this for years, but the idea of a sugar rush isn't actually true. And the reason that most of us attribute sugar rushes to children and that is normally because they're having sugar in places where they already have high energy as it is. So children's birthday party. That's where I thought I saw the sugar rush again and again, but that's just children being amping off each other, basically. And in fact, one of the studies said this. Our findings very clearly indicate in regards to the sugar rush that such claims are not substantiated. So there's no empirical evidence from studies that really say, that are actually respected, that say the sugar rush exists. And he says, if any, they say, if anything, sugar will probably make you feel worse. Oh, I dared not believe it. But I changed my mind as I went through and I read things. And the reason I wanted to start in this space here this morning is because we do this all the time as humans. Who's aware of the margarine versus butter debate? It's been raging for a while now. As we experience something, as you and I experience something that changes the way we perceive the world, we act accordingly. All the time, we're changing what we think and what we feel about certain topics because of new information or new experiences that come to light, that come to light. And this is very important for us here this morning because I want to ask a question around A very important question if you're a Christian. If you're you're someone here, you're not um, a Jesus follower, you're still figuring out what that means, this question may not be on your radar as much, but for those of you who say, I follow Jesus or I believe in God, this question is very important because as we change our minds as time goes on, we need to understand that some things can change and it's okay, but some things we really have to wrestle with whether they change or not. And the question that is really on the forefront of many of our minds as followers of Jesus is, how can we trust what we read in the Bible? How can we know that what we read is factual? What we read is helpful? How do we know that it's given to us so that we can use it? How do we know that we can trust what's in there? And especially as technology marches forward and as we discover new things about the world, we come across new evidences and and different ways of seeing and interacting with the space around us. But how can we come back to this idea that what we read in the Christian Bible is actually true? And this morning, we're going to look at a story in Mark chapter 14, and it's called The Last Supper. And this story points us to why I believe we can trust what we read in the Christian Bible. Um, And it's all centered around the idea of Jesus being who he said he is, and the people who witnessed him uh, also saying that he is who he said he is, and he actually did what he said he has done. So I know this about you, and I know this about myself. You and I won't truly believe stuff until we experience it for yourself. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and they're telling you this is what you should do or this is how you should act and you go, never, never. And then you go away and you have an experience and then you go back and you're like, you were right. Or you go back and you're like, I'm going to change my course of direction. Because we believe things about the world around us. But then when we come across a new experience or new evidence, we start to interpret what we see a little bit differently, which is an amazing gift from God. We should always be growing, always be changing, always be developing. Because if we knew everything at one point in time, how boring is the rest of the ride going to be? I know it all now. I can sit back, relax, and just do nothing, I guess. I don't know, act out of it, whatever you want to do. So this just happens. And the other thing that I know about you, which is very true, is that your greatest mistakes... Unfortunately, this is true for me, financially, relationally, emotionally, in regards to the way you use your time or your energy, our greatest mistakes that we make come out of the fact that we make decisions that are not entirely based on what is actually factual. What is actually factual. Not all mistakes. Sometimes we know what we're doing and we're just doing the wrong thing, but a lot of the time we make mistakes, some really big mistakes, just because we didn't know better at the time because you thought you knew better than you actually do. And someone outside of you, watching what you were doing, probably was telling you it was a mistake, and you thought, but I know better. And you went ahead, and you thought you knew more than you actually do. In fact, to put this another way, um, what you had experienced led you to make a decision that may not be based upon what is really real, what is really real. So today I want to look at this story that the church has believed as being factual. And in fact, we believe this to be the center of our entire faith. And this morning, what we're looking at here in the Last Supper in Mark chapter 14, if what we read didn't happen, and if the story of Jesus and his resurrection didn't happen, if for some reason they were said to be untrue and they factually were untrue, the entirety of the Christian faith actually starts to fall apart. And the work of the last 2,000 years has been not for naught. We've done some great things as a church. We've done hospitals. We've done education. Things have gone well, but the the centerpiece of why we believe what we believe as a Christian community is actually torn apart. Because if we don't have a resurrected Jesus, then the last 2,000 years has been wrong. It's a scary thought, isn't it? So how can we be sure that what we read in the Bible about Jesus is actually true? And that's what I want us to explore here today. So hopefully i have put a little bit of doubt in your mind, but not so much. that As we look through this story, you can see why we can have faith and why we can actually have great assurance of who Jesus is and what he said he had done. Because we believe Jesus and we believe the people around him. So where are we going to go today? Where are we going to go today? We're going to do two things with this story in Mark chapter 14. The first thing I want to do is recognize that this story is setting the stage for the greatest event in human history. This story is all about Jesus setting the stage for what is going to happen. So that's the first thing I want to look at and why that is so amazing. The second thing I want to look at is this idea that um, Jesus created a rhythm as well to make sure that he did the greatest thing that he has ever done and that has ever happened. And at the same time, he made sure that we would remember it. Because as humans, we can be awfully forgetful. And in fact, you know the saying, if it doesn't get scheduled, it doesn't get done. Yep. If, uh, if all of you whipped out your phones and had a look at your calendar or you whipped out your paper diaries, I can tell what you're going to do this week because I can see what you've planned. And if I observe you for long enough, I can see the rhythms of your life and I can see where and um, how you're going to act in certain situations because we are just forgetful people. And when things happen out of rhythm, they throw us. They, they just do, they throw us. So those are the two places we're going to go today. Setting the stage for the greatest act in human history and having this idea that Jesus actually created a rhythm so that we would remember what had happened. So let's have a look at the story together. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, so this is Mark chapter 14 around verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare so that you can have the meal Passover. So what's happening here is that Jesus and his disciples, they're hanging around and it's time to celebrate a great Jewish uh, memory and a Jewish tradition of remembering the time that the people of God, the Israelites, were rescued from Egypt. And we'll have a look at the context of Passover a little bit later in the message this morning. But basically Jesus is there and they're just doing what good Jewish people do as a rabbi. Where is he going to have Passover? And the, the disciples need to prepare it for him. Because he's the leader of the operation, but at the same time, they need to make sure that this is going to happen. So Jesus says to them, go into the city. And as you go in there, you will see a man carrying a water jar and he'll meet you. Follow him and to the owner of the house that he goes into, say that our teacher must eat Passover with his disciples tonight. Can that happen? And this is what's amazing. So Jesus says to them, imagine this. All right, we're going to have the Passover together. It's what we do. Go, you'll meet a man, follow that man. He'll take you to a house and say that the teacher needs to eat here tonight. And it happens. I just don't know how they would have been like, wow. The disciples left and they found it exactly as he had said. So that's an amazing prediction, isn't it? Go do this and it's just going to all work for you. So they went They found things as Jesus had told them. When the evening came, Jesus arrived with his twelve and while I was at the table eating, he started a wonderful conversation. He said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. Whoa. I, what we're going to look at here is just this if this meal happened in the way that it's presented, it would just be this awkward roller coaster of bumps. Hey? So they're there, they're eating, they're like, We're going to be celebrating this amazing memory of God rescuing the people of Israel. And Jesus is there with his disciples and he says, Truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. One of you who is eating. With me. That would have taken the wind right out of the room. So what do they do in response? They do what they would anyone would do, one by one, not me, not me. Surely you don't mean me. And Jesus doesn't go and actually name who it is, but he says it is one of the twelve, one who dips his bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays me, it's better that he was not born at all. Uh, have you ever been to an awkward dinner and someone says something that's just out of context and you're just like, they make a joke and it's just a little bit inappropriate because someone has experienced something and you just feel it inside and you're like, oh, this is just not good. This is how I imagine this going. One of you will betray me. Not us, not us, not us, not us. No, not me, not me, not me, not me. It is going to be one of you. One of you just lied to me. Oh, this is the worst dinner party ever. All right. It goes on, while they were eating, so a lot happens here, Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and then he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take this, this is my body. Then he took a cup, he gave thanks and he gave it to them so they could drink from it and he says, here, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. He then said to them, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from this vine until I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is there. They've just had this awkward, one of you is going to betray me moment. And then Jesus just keeps confusing and confounding these guys and says, hey, this is my body. Something's going to happen. It's going to break. This is my blood. This is wine, but it's representing my blood. It's going to be poured out for many. You can imagine these guys scratching their head. What is going on here? There's betrayal. Jesus is talking about blood and bread and body, and he's giving thanks for it, but at the same time, it doesn't sound good what's about to happen. And then he says, I'm not going to drink wine until I drink it anew. What does that mean? Is he, is he, is he just going to try and do the 30 days, 60 days, 90 days sober test? What's happening here? Why is he not going to drink any more wine until he's anew? What does it mean for him to be new? So many questions that would be going through their minds here at this point in time. But the story goes on. And this here for me um, is is a little bit crazy. So they've just had this meal. You're going to betray me. Here's my body. Here's my blood. I tell you, I'm not going to drink wine again until I drink it anew, whatever that means. And then he goes on and keeps the cheerful mood going. You guys are all going to desert me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I have risen... I will go ahead of you into Galilee. There's a lot going on there. He looks at his disciples, he's given thanks, and now he's going, guys, you're actually going to desert me. You're going to leave me. And a lot has to be said for the role of women in the Bible at this point. The disciples of the 12 who were men, uh, they, they abandoned Jesus when things get dicey. But the people who see through Jesus through his torture, they who see Jesus through his crucifixion and who are there to go and be with him at burial are the women. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thanks, Tish. So we have a lot to thank the women who were there, who were follow- the disciples who were women who are following Jesus, because if these men who were scattered, we would have a very sketchy view of what happened over the next little while, but because the women were there, they were able to observe and report back what had went down. And he says to them, you guys are all going to scatter. And what's their response? Even if everyone else falls away, says Peter, the lead spokesperson, I will not. And this is, um, <laughs> this is awesome, uh, what Jesus does here. And I think this just happens in life again and again. Soon as you and I, I don't know if this is a thing thing or what this is, but soon as we think we've got something, something comes along to humble us. I'm the best at doing this. Oh, wait, there's someone better. I finally got my finances in order. Oh, something's happened. I finally, as soon as we think we've reached the mountaintop, it's beautiful while you're up there, but it's so short before something else comes crashing down. Peter's sitting there and hearing everything that's going on. He's denying, I will not be the one that's going to betray you. Peter's quite a boisterous person. He stands up and says, I will not flee from you, even when everyone else does. And he's on the mountaintop. Yeah, yeah. And Jesus turns to him and says, truly I tell you, today, actually tonight, you're not going to make it 24 hours, mate, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to disown me, you're going to deny me, you're going to renounce me three times. Imagine the blow, that is. They're there enjoying this meal together. They're celebrating a great act that God has done. Jesus is talking about all this stuff which is confusing. And, he, and he's saying that we're going to d- abandon him. And Peter says, not me. And Jesus looks him in the eye and says, actually, in the next little while, you're going to do it three times. Whoa, what a hit to the ego. What a, imagine imagine that. But Peter, because, you know, when we think we've got it going on, we think we've got it on. He insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Because once he went first and took the brunt of that, then everyone else was like, yeah, me too, me too. Because, you know, it's always the person who goes first, right? You know, yeah. Once they go, everyone else is happy to join in. Up until that point, they're probably a bit sketchy on it. Anyway, so Peter goes first. He emphatically says, even if I have to die. But we know from the story, he announces three, uh, we're not going to look at it today, but later on in the story, he renounces Jesus three times, says, I don't, I don't belong to him. And he doesn't. He's not willing to die. They flee. They run away. So, a lot to unpack in that little part. And there's only really one thing that I want to look at, and it's this idea of what Jesus said in regards to the future. Because if you look uh, on what I just presented up there, you would have seen some of the words were italicized. That's not italicized in your Bible, not in italics or whatever. Um, but I think it's important to note to note them. All right, um, in what's happening in the story. Because what we get from Jesus' predictions, it actually tells us a lot about about his power and what he can do. Before we get to that, just very quickly. So what is happening in the story in the broader context? What's basically happening in the broader context, and this is too important to dwell on today, but we need to look at it at some point um, because I can't give time to this properly. Jesus does this incredible act in this little meal of moving the focus from his followers from what was to what is about to happen. And this is a huge deal because to the Jewish tradition, tradition is very important. And I, I want to give a little example here of what Jesus is doing so you can fully capture the magna, the, how big this is, the magnitude of this event. Jesus is taking their focus from this amazing act of God at the time of Passover to himself. And this is sort of what the equivalent is, all right? Imagine next week... Or the week after, whenever Easter is in a couple of weeks' time. Imagine me rocking up on Sunday being, guys, Easter has been great. It's been good. We've been celebrating Jesus for a while now. He's had some good runs on the board. From now on, we're gonna focus actually on me. Easter used to be about Jesus and his act on the cross, but Jesus, uh, Easter is now gonna be focused on Josh and what I'm about to do. I'm about to go and give away a thousand dollars to people, and then going forward you're all gonna celebrate it. Forever and ever. Who's on board? come on guys, who's going to go first? Who will go first? Jesus is doing something incredible here. He's rocking up to this time where they were remembering the Passover and he's saying, going forward, you're actually going to be remembering me. It used to be about what God did back then. It's now about me from what was to what is from what was to what is. And the three shifts he makes there very quickly, uh, he moves them from Passover to Last Supper. Passover was all about the idea that um, when the Jews were trapped in um, Egypt, they had to put blood of lamb on their doorway. So when the angel of death came over, uh, they saw the blood and went, not this house. And they went to the next one and they would kill the firstborn. And the reason this is happening is because God is very angry at Pharaoh and he's trying to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. And Pharaoh's like, I am powerful, I am God. And God says, well, actually, I'm God. And then he goes through and does a whole bunch of things until Pharaoh says, all right, you are God. And he lets the people go. And the meal is to celebrate the fact that um, the angel of death did not go to their house and then they got victory out of that. So Jesus transitions from that tradition So going forward, you're going to remember the last time that I ate with you in this form. And this is very important because the next time that these guys gather together properly uh, is when Jesus is in his new resurrected body. So this is the last time that they have the supper with Jesus in this form because of what he's about to do. The second transition they make, uh, it used to be about celebrating Israel and Israel's release. And now this new meal that Jesus is instituting is going to be about those who follow him, his disciples, those who say they belong to Jesus. It opens the door uh, much wider than it was before. And finally, it it focuses on what God did in the past, to what God is doing through Jesus now. So those are the three big transitions that happen. But the important parts, as I said, are the italics. And here's what the five were. Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Uh, The second one was, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until when I drink it anew. Uh, You will fall away, Jesus tells them. Uh, But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. That's a really cool one because that's got a double to it. So that says, Jesus says, I will rise. And everyone, they haven't got a framework for that. What do you mean you will rise? I will rise and I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So Jesus here is predicting, one, he will come back from the dead. And two, he is predicting that he will go ahead of his people. So those who have scattered will one day be together again and he will be with them. So it's a nice little double one, two for the price of one. All right. And the other one he says is, tonight before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. So those are the five uh, predictions that Jesus makes. And this is one I want to put to you this morning. These five predictions are pretty incredible. The first reason that these predictions are incredible is because from our perspective, it looks like Jesus has superpowers. I love this. Jesus is doing something that does not meet our version of what reality is. Because who here can predict what is going to happen tomorrow? Who of you would go buy a lotto ticket tonight if you could predict what was going to happen tomorrow? Oh, yes. (laughs) Got some debts to pay. Um, If we could predict the future, who knows how we would use that power? But from our perspective, Jesus being able to do that, that is just amazing, isn't it? Because it's amazing only if he actually pulls it off. And this is the key, I believe, is that Jesus said it and then it actually happened. Any clown can make a prediction. But for it to actually come true, oh, that's a different kettle of fish. So that's the first reason this is really important. Jesus is exercising his power by demonstrating, I know what's going to happen, and it's going to be exactly as I say. The second thing, and this is, this is the big implication of that, is if someone is able to predict their own death and their own resurrection, then I'll go where they go. And this is the thrust of um, this morning's message around this idea that Jesus, it's all about the resurrection here, folks. If Jesus was able to predict it, and pull it off, then you've got to go with him. Because someone who has that power, someone who is from God and has that power, he's worth following. Because I don't know about you, I've never met someone who's been dead for three days, and died that sort of death, and then came back with a new body. Because not just that he came back to life and he still had all of the gory scars, he came back with a new resurrected body. He predicted his own death and his own resurrection, and it happened. And the reason that we know it happened, because many of you will go, oh, sure, that's a nice claim. Uh, I have a friend who did that. Where's the evidence? Where's the proof? And this is where a lot of people fall down. How can we believe that Jesus actually came back to life? And I believe that's a fair question. If your response is to say, well, the Bible says so, they might just go, well, I don't believe in the Bible. Then where's your argument going to go from there? Here's where I believe the power of the resurrection is and why I believe it is actually true is because of the second thing we see out of this story. The people he predicted as deserting him later died because they believed what they saw. And this is where I believe the power of the scripture actually is. Jesus didn't come back to life because we read about it in a couple of paragraphs. We know that Jesus came back to life because the whole New Testament scripture is full of people who believed that they saw Jesus come back to life. The Bible is not just simply something that's given to us to say, is it true or is it not true? This is a collection of people who witnessed an event and they were willing to die because they believed what they saw. After they saw Jesus' resurrected body, they couldn't go back to the old paradigm of viewing the world through the same old lens that they had. And this is where I believe the biggest power is. And for me, when I started my journey of following Jesus, it started as all my friends are doing it. And I had a really cool encounter with the Holy Spirit where I felt there must be a God and I just became assured of that. And then I started to read my Bible and I started to go, well, look at all these words. Like these, they're incredible. They guide me, they keep me on a right track. But as I've developed in my faith, I've come to the understanding that everything I believe in is really hinged around the the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And saying because the Bible says so isn't really good enough. But we don't have to say just because the Bible says so. We can say because people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, a whole bunch of others who saw him after he had risen, and all these disciples we read about, these people who saw Jesus rise from the dead, they were willing to die for him. Whereas before, they got afraid just when Jesus was getting in trouble. The disciples would followed Jesus for three years who had front row seats to everything that he was doing. When he started getting into trouble, they deserted him. They ran away. They weren't even the ones who were going to be getting harmed at that point. Jesus was. And they ran. They said, we don't have a way to deal with this. But when Jesus rocked up in his resurrected body and they saw with their own eyes and they experienced this, they had an entire transition of, and a framework shift of how they had to view and interpret the world. And these men and women who were once scared beforehand, they were willing to go and die because they said, I cannot deny what I've physically seen. And the entire writing we have through the New Testament Scriptures is not just writing, but it's people who are writing about the fact that they saw a resurrected Christ. And the thing they keep coming back to again and again and again, is that it has to be true because we saw Jesus die and rise again. The teachings, they're amazing, but we know they have power because we saw Jesus die and we saw him in a new body after. Everything is based on the resurrection of Jesus. The followers who ran away, when they saw he was in trouble, later saw they would allow harm to come to themselves because they couldn't deny what they saw as reality. And this is the reason I'm so convinced that this is a powerful thing. Because you and I, we will cover up lies, but who's going to really get hurt? Or who's going to allow harm to come to themselves or their family because of a lie? If you don't believe it, you're not going to cover it up. We see it through history. We see, like, uh, just go to the Watergate scandal, because I watched something on it the other, the other week, the movie, um, with Liam Neeson in it. Grey, has anyone seen that? Anyway, it's a great movie <laughs> about the Watergate scandal. And about how lies, they just come tumbling down when when you're unable to to really go, I am going to put myself in the way of protecting a lie. We don't do that, but these people did. So in this story, Jesus sets the stage for what he is about to do, and I believe he confirms it. So through our Mark story we just went through, Jesus confirmed what he said is true because he has the power to predict what's going to happen. Then he has the power to pull it off, which is just amazing. And the second thing, very briefly, and then we're going to come to a time of communion, is this. Uh, While they were eating, Jesus broke the bread all right so we 're shifting from setting the stage to creating a rhythm here. Jesus broke the bread and then he got the communion and he gave uh, he got the communion he got the wine he gave it out to them and The reason uh, this is really helpful for us is because Jesus instituted this meal for us to take part in until he returns, so that we have a rhythm to remember what had happened because if you remember what happened in the story of Passover if you 've seen any movies based on Uh, the story of Moses, or um, you've read through that in the Bible. The people got freed in an incredible way. And then what happened when they were free and Moses went to go talk to God? What did they do? They built something. They built an idol. God was there delivering his people, and he said to them, don't make an idol because anything you make, don't make an image of me because anything you make that is an image of me is just not going to capture all of who I am. That's not how I operate. Every God out there has an image. Don't have an image of me. It just, it's just not going to work for you. And uh, these people, they forget within such a short amount of time the power God had displayed in getting his people out of Egypt. So Jesus, I can imagine this, humor me if you will. I can imagine this conversation between, between God and Jesus. Jesus is about to come down to earth and Jesus is like, God, I think I should go and I should, I should set a reminder for them. God's like, what do you mean? Jesus is like, look, these humans, they're great. You created them, love them, they're cool. But they forget things all the time. Without a diary, they can't remember where they're meant to be or what they're meant to be doing. If they don't have like one of those Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday things, I forget what pill they're taking. If they don't have these things in place, just humans are forgetful. And God's like, good point. Uh, really make sure they remember what's happening, all right? And she's like, I gotcha. So Jesus comes down and he displays this amazing amount of wisdom by not only instituting a meal to remember what had happened and doing all, everything he did, he made sure that, hey, do this in remembrance of me again and again and again so you don't forget. And what we're about to take part in now is a continuation of that rhythm from Jesus and his disciples all the way down 2,000 years to you and to me.